I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. Jumping in here before we get started, you're probably going to hear Ivy snoring through parts of this recording. Um... She hurt her leg this week, and I didn't have the heart to kick her out of the office while I was recording, so uh, it's not a demon, it's little Ivy. Thanks for understanding. Well, you've done it again. Your merch orders brought in $554. I went ahead and rounded it up, and together we donated $600 to sunflowerofpeace.com, a nonprofit organization committed to helping Ukrainians affected by the Russian military invasion. Thank you all for making my birthday month even happier this year with your generosity. Stay tuned after the story for more merch news and reading, listening, and watching recommendations. Moving on, things here are getting stranger and stranger. I know it isn't just happening in the swells. Through my TikTok scrolling addiction, I've seen that the vibes are off everywhere in a really weird way, not in a spooky fun way, more of a scary rageful way. Have you felt that? I have, not just online, in person too. Eruptions of rage and cruelty, people saying hurtful things that cannot be taken back. Massive projections of anger and blame and an inability to accept any part in the situation. What's all around us, the turning of the screw, fuel dumped on the fire. And trust me when I say that there are beings, entities, and monsters in the shadows gleefully watching us burn. If you hadn't realized it yet, friends, we're on the bad timeline. We're on to ghost story number 65. It's coming. How are the girls? They're good. Really good. I kind of fibbed. I mean, one of them got whacked pretty hard with a family anxiety stick, but we're managing. How about you? How are things there? There is a pause. Quiet. Quiet's good. Hmm. Speaking of, Biddy mentioned you haven't heard much lately. I suppressed a groan. Yeah, it's weird. I've had an unexpected break. But you're still seeing spirits. Oh, no, nothing. No one. Even Claire? Even Claire. Same here. Wait, what? You can't... Radio silence, Judith confirmed. Oh, shit. I breathed. Yeah, we're in the same boat. The energy's been wonky for months, but all of a sudden something is working very hard to block us from communicating with those on the other side. Or maybe it's blocking them from talking to us. My ears have been popping. Go on, Judith drawled. I just, like, know it's Claire trying to get through to me, but she can't. Something's stopping her. Hmm, that sounds about right. Feels as though there's something standing between me and my guides. It's kind of nice, though, isn't it? What? The quiet. Nice. No, it's menacing. So, what can we do about it? Hell if I know, Judith replied dismissively. But 
I know someone who can still hear. And she found me. A medium? Not exactly, but I want you to meet her. Well, she wants to meet you. I don't know. Judith's sigh was heavy and covered so much more than words ever could. I relented. Okay. You're not going to like what she has to say, and you're not going to want to believe it, but she might be able to tell us what's happening. We aren't the only ones with hearing loss, so to speak. What do you mean? I've talked to three women and one guy in the last week. None of them have been able to access their gifts. All of them say it started happening around the last full moon. (laughs) Well, that's awfully specific. When did things go quiet for you? I told her. So, the last full moon, she said pointedly. Weird, I commented uselessly. Sure is. Anything else strange going on there? I filled her in on the time warps, sinkholes, elementals, and quiet rocks in my neighborhood. Well, at least we know your uncanny ability to find yourself in it up to your eyeballs is still intact. Anything else? Oh, it's probably nothing, but I saw this woman, a witch who lives in town who tormented this man and his family a few years ago. I passed by her on the trail to those rocks. Maybe it was just a coincidence, but no such thing as coincidences, Judith cut in. Did you publish the interview? I told her where to find it on the blog. I'll read it. What are you doing tomorrow at 10? I have a feeling you're about to tell me. Judith chuckled. You're having me and a new friend over for coffee. Why can't we meet at Cabrada or something? Too many people. She wants to talk, but she wants to do it at your place. Why? Judith huffed. I don't know, but I bet we'll find out. Who is she? Her name is Lillian Doyle. When Judith didn't elaborate, I forced myself to stay silent. She's possessed, Judith said finally. Come on. Yeah, so it turns out that while the ghosts and other spirits can't communicate right now, the demons are chattering away like there's no tomorrow. Maybe that's why they're so talkative, I muttered. Meaning? I don't know, but you're out of your mind if you think I'm going to invite a possessed woman into my house for coffee. It will be perfectly safe. Judith! There was another long silence. Look, You know we're all in deep shit here. You know that. For some reason, this woman, or whatever it is crouched down inside her, has something to say, and it wants you to be the one to hear it. No one ever said you signed up for this shit, but here we are, so I'm going to need you to put on your big girl pants and get involved. (sighs) I want a priest, not a fucking Catholic, but some priest or pastor or something at this house immediately after she leaves to cleanse the place. Done, Judith said quickly and I could sense the relief in her voice. Hearing that relief made me realize just how serious the situation was, and it scared me more than the idea of having a demon-possessed woman over for a coffee and a chat. The next morning, I got the girls off to school and the dogs off to their little camp. Chris typically works from home, but by some miracle, or curse come to think of it, he had to be gone all day on property tours. So I had the house to myself. And with nothing else to do to calm my anxiety, I set to tidying. I put a mountain of dishes into the washer, wiped down the sticky countertops, and lit a candle because I'm sensitive to the idea that the house might smell horribly of dog, and I've become so accustomed to the stench that I no longer notice it. 
I prepped the coffee pot and organized a tray of coffee cups and fixings and a platter of pastries. Then I gathered the dog's toys into their bin, made the drunk desk in the mudroom a little less junky, and ran the vacuum and fluffed and karate chopped the couch cushions. Now, I don't know if that is something that people do anymore, but years ago I watched Kathleen Turner do it in War of the Roses, and as far as I'm concerned, she is a demigod and my guiding light. So my throw pillows will be styled this way until I'm too weak to karate chop them. It's a relatively small house, so all of this didn't suck up as much time as I'd hoped it would. It was only 9.15. I had 45 minutes to kill. I cleaned out my email, then scrolled around online for a few minutes, and filled a J. Crew cart with $768 worth of clothing and shoes I didn't need, then deleted everything from the cart and closed the laptop. I was too anxious to write, so I grabbed my book, Salem's Lot, and a bubble water, headed outside, and flopped down onto one of our comfortable patio chairs. It was a mild, overcast day, and I could hear the pleasant shrill of the peepers off in the distance. I was lost in the book when there was a knocking on the window behind me, a tight bang-bang-bang just behind my head. I spun around to face the tall windows and the kitchen beyond, half expecting to see Judith standing there. I'd been so wrapped up in the book, I thought maybe I hadn't realized she'd arrived, but that was ridiculous. I had a full view of the driveway from where I was sitting. No way she could have come up to the house without me noticing. All of this shot through my mind in a nanosecond. The obvious realization quickly followed that there was no one in the house. I was alone. Someone had knocked on the window right behind my head, but I was alone. I stood up and moved away from the house, stepping down from the patio and tried to rationalize the knocking. It could have been anything. We have two bird feeders. Maybe there was a squirrel or... No. It sounded like knuckles, rapping on the window. I was still standing there, staring at the house when Judith's car pulled up the driveway. Hey, she called, slamming the car door. I held open the gate for her, and she came through. Pool looks gorgeous, she commented. Kids must love it. Thanks, I said distractedly. What's up, she asked, scrutinizing me. It's nothing, I just... We were interrupted by a car turning into the driveway. A sparkling white Range Rover zipped up behind Judith's Jeep. The car stereo's booming bass cut through the quiet morning for a stretch before the driver cut the ignition and stepped down from the SUV. The woman was, well, petite, at least a head shorter than me. She had gorgeous reddish-brown, I guess you would say auburn, hair cut in a shaggy shoulder-length mixed-layer cut. I looked it up later. It's called a wolf cut. It's very cool, very perfectly imperfect. She wore a pair of cropped, distressed jeans with a white button-down shirt, French tucked, and expensive-looking loafers. Gold watch, pearl studs, simple gold wedding band. Hey, I'm just going to let you do your thing, Judith said quietly. Meaning? I replied, matching her tone. Interview her the way you would anyone else. Lillen, she called. Come on back. I went to the gate to allow the woman in. Knock, 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 she said, smiling brightly. I stood back to let her into the yard. Lillen, this is Liz. Liz, Lillen. You have a lovely home, the woman offered. She handed me a little brown bag, a blue and white bow tied across its handles. Just a little something for you. Thank you, I replied. Come on inside. Inside we went. I tried to act normal, tried to appear calm and welcoming, 
all the while feeling deeply unsafe. I didn't like Lillian. It was an instant dislike, instinctive, deep. She looked normal, seemed pleasant enough, but something was off, most likely the fact that she was possessed, or at least claimed to be. Sorry, it'll be a couple minutes for coffee. I apologized, flipping on the coffee pot. Can I get either of you some bubbly water or flat? Bubbly for me, Judith said, as Lillian said. Actually, a glass of Chardonnay would hit the spot. A little early on a Tuesday for booze, Judith chuckled. Is it? Lillian replied, a pleasant half-smile on her face. I pulled a wine glass down from the top shelf and poured a generous serving of cake bread. Yummy, Lillian drawled before taking a dainty sip. Join me. I'll stick with coffee, I replied. She took a large gulp of wine. Good for you. Open your gift. I did. It was the same exact candle that I had burning on my countertop. I looked up and realized that Lillian was staring at me, her expression inscrutable. Thank you, I said. You're so very welcome, she replied, grinning. Thank you for having me. Sure. I motioned to the kitchen table. Sit, I'll grab some treats. I brought the platter of tiny croissants and muffins to the table and sat down beside Judith. Mmm, these from Cabrata? she asked, reaching for a napkin. Yep. None for me, thanks, declined Lillian, saving my calories. What on earth for? Judith asked, popping a muffin into her mouth. Where's your little recorder? Lillian asked me, ignoring Judith's comment. Oh, right. Let me grab it. I retrieved the device from an overstuffed drawer in the mudroom and settled back to the table. Lillian leaned forward, smiling at the tiny digital recorder. Is it on? I nodded. Good. Let's start. The coffee pot beeped its little... I'm ready, beep, and I stood. What do you want to talk about? I asked, putting the pot on the tray I'd prepared beforehand. Whatever you want to talk about, Lillian said sweetly. I handed Judith a full cup of coffee, then poured my own. Tension and anxiety chased away what little bit of hospitality I had left. Look, if everything goes absolutely perfectly, I have about six hours a week that aren't sucked up by family responsibilities, so please... I've been in the weeds with a book for about three years now. I don't have time to just shoot the shit. Judith laughed. Lillian crossed her arms. Fine. What do you want to know? Why did you want to talk to me? I didn't. Then why are we sitting here? I demanded, realizing how rude I was acting, but unable to control myself. They made me come here. They knew Judith would convince you to talk to me. The statement hung heavily in the air. Okay, I said finally. So tell me what they want you to say and then we'll call it a day. I don't know. Come on, Lillian, Judith prodded. Really? I don't know. They'll tell me when they're ready. And how long do you think that'll take? Judith pressed. How long have they been telling you things? I asked. Lillian shrugged and downed the breast of her glass. About a year. Why you? Why not me? I looked down at my watch pointedly. Lillian tapped the side of her glass with a fingernail. Refill? 
I shook my head. You're driving. Percy Goody Two-Shoes, Lillen giggled. That's me, I said, unable to hold in a laugh. Lillen grabbed a mug and dumped sugar and coffee into it. Why me? She trilled. Well, I think it all started when I lost the will to give a shit. She took a delicate sip. Not bad. Starbucks? I nodded. A year ago, I had this, well, I suppose you might call it an epiphany. I woke up one rainy spring morning, and I couldn't seem to scrape up the energy to give a flying fuck about anything. I felt perfectly fine. I just didn't have the will to participate in the life I'd created for myself. I got up, made myself a tea, and crawled back into bed. My husband thought I was sick, and I let him think that for a couple of days. But I felt better than I could ever remember feeling. It was like all of a sudden I just... She made a raspberry and shrugged her shoulders. Yeah, I just couldn't give a shit anymore. I realized just how fucking absurd all of it was. I had the presence of mind not to cut and run, though. It wasn't off the table. Willen looked up at the ceiling and shook her hair back from her face. I decided I'd go through the motions and see where it took me. I just watched. Do you know what I mean? Really paid attention to what was going around me for the first time. Well, ever. And you know what I saw? Play acting. Altogether cringeworthy play acting at that. She lowered her chin, her face blank. It was the thinly veiled, gloriously toxic mix of arrogance and self-hatred that got me. Such a strange juxtaposition, and yet there it was. The perpetual ranking a relieved notch or two above this one, a gut-wrenching mile below that one, and constantly scraping and scrambling to keep those pesky voices at bay. She sipped her coffee daintily. You know, I didn't grow up like this. It's true. I grew up in a tiny, simple little town. Vermont, she tisked. I was smart enough, though, got myself into BU. My mother pushed me to choose the business school. It's where the men were. She was right. She always was, if she hadn't gotten pregnant so young. But she did, so she pinned it all on me, and by God, I fucking performed. Lillen let out a bark of laughter. (laughs) I knocked that shit out of the park. I met my husband's sophomore year of college. Not the sharpest tack, or the kindest one, mind you. But he was interested in me, and his family had money. So I watched and emulated what the women in his life said and didn't say and did and didn't do and wore and didn't wear and became the utter embodiment of old-school New England wealth with all of its Pinot Grigio soaked summers in Chatham, winters in Stowe with the occasional jaunt to Park City, spring breaks in an acceptable part of Florida, autumns spent at booze-soaked fundraisers, all the way through holding up my end of the bargain, skeletally thin, manicured, and polished to a sparkly shine. I had the two kids, the huge house, the yellow lab, etc., etc., and I had my eye on a stately five-bed with a pool house on the Cape and had just about convinced my husband that it was a wonderful investment when I woke up that strange morning and it all just went and lost its appeal. Don't misunderstand. I'm still dedicated to remaining comfortably well off. I'm not about to let myself go. It's just that, I guess I just lost the ability to give a damn about anyone else. 
I just want to do what I want to do. I don't have the energy for anything that doesn't directly benefit me. It's nice. And look, I'm a rich, middle-aged white woman, perfectly turned out, perfectly presentable, perfectly ready to spend the fuck out of my husband's not-so-hard-earned cash. I'm a hot commodity, and I can do and get whatever the fuck I want if I'm willing to play my part. Turns out, they want what I have to offer, too. She pointed a manicured finger to the floor. What do they want from you? asked Judith. Don't know, don't care. I feel great, I look great. I'm not hungry, so I don't care what they do when I black out. Nothing's come to bite me in the ass quite yet, and they know they've got a good thing going with me. They'd be stupid to take it too far. How often do you black out? Who cares? Lillen spat. Where do you live? I asked. Lillen met my eyes and a big smile spread across her face. I'm off cliff on Rockridge Road. Know the area? What did you get yourself into? I asked quietly. She tilted her head and blinked her long lashed eyes. What do you mean? People don't just wake up possessed. That's not how it works. You must have done something or something was done to you. What was it? I never claimed I didn't go looking, said Lillen. What I got myself into is really neither here nor there. The point is, they stripped away the illusion and showed me my true worth and the sheer dumb luck that I ended up in this body, in this time, on this earth. How silly it was of me to not take full advantage for myself for once. I've allowed everyone to take advantage of me my entire life. I let my husband show me off as a prized possession, use me to run his house, raise his kids, keep him entertained. I let my kids suck the fucking life out of me, allowed other women to use me to rank themselves on that old sliding scale of worth. So going dark and losing a little bit of time here and there, it's a small price to pay. I don't know what the fuck they're doing when I go dark, and I really don't care. We can help you, Judith offered. Lillen slapped her palm down on the table. You're not listening to me, she hissed. She glared at us. Open your fucking ears. You don't... She stopped talking abruptly and closed her eyes. They want me to tell you now. There was a rapping on the table. Well, beneath the kitchen table. I pushed my chair back without thinking as Judith did the same beside me. There is nothing you can do about it, Lillen said quietly. There's nothing anyone can do about it. About what? What's coming? Do you know what's coming? Lillen's elbows slid off the table and she put her hands in her lap. She seemed to shrink into herself. You should, you should enjoy what you can while you can. We all sat in silence, lost in our own thoughts. Who is telling you this? Who are you? Judith said finally. Wouldn't you like to know? Lillen's voice had deepened. What difference does it make if you give us a name? I said impatiently. You don't want the demon to go, so it's not like we can make it leave. Lillen smiled, and her eyes took on a sort of faraway look. True, she breathed. Oh, what the hell. I'll give you a tiny hint, but nothing more. She thinks I'm many, but I'm one. One of three. I'd like you to leave, I whispered. I want you out of my house. 
Lillian's smile faded. Don't you want to know? I see it all so clearly. It's going to be terrible. No. I stood and opened my front door. Judith stood as well. Lillian watched us. Your scientists can almost see it as clearly as I can. They misread the signs, the reason for it all, but their conclusions are correct. No one can stop what is coming. It will intensify quickly, faster than you will comprehend it. On all fronts, there will be peace and no silo. There will be no rest. You will... Get out, I said firmly. Lillen stood slowly. The star has nearly come. The pestilence thrives. The famine was foretold with the first animal driven to extinction. War is your birthright. Death is your promise. The final end has begun. It comes too fast for regrets. Please go, I said in a shaky voice. Lillen walked past me, out the door without another word. I closed it behind her and turned the lock. Moments later, her car stereo burst to life and boomed as she slowly backed down my driveway. Call your priest or pastor or whoever the fuck and get him over here right now. On it, said Judith, already dialing. The star has nearly come, Judith said, putting down her phone. Do you think that means... Yeah, I said before she could finish her thought. I went to grab a muffin from the platter and noticed a crumpled piece of notebook paper on the floor beneath the kitchen table. I bent down to pick up the paper and smoothed it absentmindedly on the table, expecting to see one of the girl's doodles. Instead, the sheet held one word in delicate cursive script. Balam. I pushed the paper across the tabletop to Judith and googled. In the lesser key of Solomon, Balaam is a powerful great king of hell, with forty legions of demons under his command. Balaam was a demon who had the power to incite rebellion. It was said that he had three heads, that of a bull, a man, and a ram. This allowed him to see past, present, and future events. And he'd just been in my kitchen. She's still in there, Judith said. Lillen, but he's just about erased her. I thought she didn't want to get rid of him. We weren't talking to Lillen, Judith said sadly. I thought you realized that. I've made the commitment to keep our space ad-free, but if you are interested in doing something priceless to help the show, please tell a spooky friend about it. Rate and review it wherever you listen, and follow me at Ghosts in the Burbs on Instagram and TikTok. Those three things are incredibly valuable. And while you're at it, and I can't stress this enough, go ahead and do it for the other podcasts you enjoy. Now, May 2022 Ghosts in the Burbs merch proceeds will go to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. And remember, if you disagree with the cause, then don't buy my merch. If you are triggered or angry with me for supporting the basic human right to body autonomy, don't bother letting me know. I don't care. For everyone else, head over to ghostsintheburbs.com for all the links. And that's all for now. Take care of you. Read The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Golds. It's G-O-U-L-D. And the Hamish Macbeth mystery series by M.C. Beaton in all its glorious entirety. Listen to the Witches of Eastwick soundtrack while you're on a walk outside. Trust me on that one. It's great. 
and finally watch or rewatch the 2012 movie, The Possession. I had to 10 seconds skip, skip, skip past several moments of gore, but the story really creeped me out. All right, good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight. P.S. I don't usually do bloopers, but this one was funny. <laughs> one of the girls broke something in the kitchen. We were interrupted by a car turning into the driveway. Holy fuck. <laughs> Everything was fine, except the glass. <laughs> <laughs>